Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight, we're looking at the Firefly episode, Trash. Things are looking bad for Mal. He's naked, stranded in the desert. Oh, oh wait, the storytellers can't create appropriate tension without a flashback. Let's start that story again, knowing as we do that it's not going to end well. Mal is on an uninhabited planetoid where he meets an old war pal and fellow Firefly smuggler, Monty. The good friends are happy to see one another until Monty introduces his bride, who happens to be our Mrs. Reynolds, whom we know as Saffron from a few episodes ago, but Monty knows as Bridget. Mal and Saffron Bridget fight. Monty intercedes and, perceiving that Mal is telling the truth, abandons Saffron Bridget on the planetoid with Mal. Mal aims to leave her behind to die, even though she tries to pitch a million-credit robbery plan to him. Back on the Firefly, Inara wants words with Mal. He's hiding out, doing petty jobs, and staying away from places where she can get work. They argue when Inara denigrates Mal's criminal mastermind status. This prompts Mal to let Saffron Bridget out of the box that he's been hiding her in and pitch her robbery plan. The plan goes something like this. They go to the planet Bellerophon, break into the house of a rich dude, steal one of the only two remaining first laser pistols, chuck it in the trash, reprogram the trash truck to deliver the trash to a remote desert location, then fence the pistol for a cool million. And Nara, upset that Mal and the crew are stupid enough to go along with Saffron Bridget's plan, leaves to do her own business. The plan goes well, except Jane gets hurt trying to reprogram the trash shuttle, and the owner walks in on Mal and Saffron Bridget during their break-in attempt. But it's okay! It turns out that Saffron Bridget is actually his long-lost wife, Yolanda, and the touching reunion gives Mal enough time to get the laser into the trash. The victim hasn't been completely fooled, and he's called the authorities on Mal and Saffron Bridget Yolanda. But they escape and head to the rendezvous with trash. On the way... Mal engages in a little psychoanalysis of Saffron Bridget Yolanda. She's genuinely upset. Her tears are honest, and Mal has finally seen the naked woman inside the brilliant, beautiful, evil, double-crossing snake that she is. On the Serenity, River has intuited that Jane sold them out on Ariel. With Jane now injured, Simon has him unconscious and under his knife. When Jane comes to, he is paralyzed. No worries! Just a medical precaution, says Simon. He confronts Jane about his betrayal and explains that Jane is safe because he's a medic and he would never hurt him and that they are on the same crew. River, however, lets Jane know she can kill him with her mind. Mal is an idiot, and when he gets a bit empathetic, it's revealed that Saffron Bridget Yolanda was once again playing him. She gets his gun, drops him naked in the desert, and heads off to recover the loot where Inara has already recovered the laser, gets the drop on her, and leaves her for the authorities. Mal is naked, stranded in the desert, but he's won. 
the end. So I don't, I don't. I know we discussed uh, a while back that you don't have the intro narration where they blather on about the Earth getting used up and stuff on the DVDs, yeah. and they didn't have it on this one, if I recall correctly. But they had an incredibly long previously on Firefly. Is that included on yours? Good grief, no. Yeah, it went. It went on. You know, I mean, it went all the way back to. Mrs. Reynolds and Ariel and and just just all over the place. It was a long one. I think that's why they cut out the Earth got used up thing because it was uh, the, there was the train job. I mean, it was it it covered all sorts of stuff. And I was not knowing what this story was about in any way, shape, or form, and completely forgetting that Saffron's name was Saffron because uh, I saw it in the preview. Mal needs to. No, decide if he trusts Saffron enough for a risky job. And I was thinking that was the name of the woman that was on the think the first planet that tried to double cross him. And uh, and so I had that in my brain. So I was genuinely surprised when Mrs. Reynolds showed up at the beginning of the episode. But I was also surprised that they went into that much detail about her in the previously section. So, uh, well, I thought I would have given it away. Well, it, it may have, if I hadn't already locked in my brain, the other thing I was like, why are they showing me this? Why are they showing me this stuff about Ariel and Jane betraying Simon? It was, it just didn't seem to fit. So I was trying to, every once in a while, they show you a little bit in the previously that has no bearing whatsoever on the story at hand. So I, I was, or maybe it's so periphery that you don't notice it. Like they mentioned the train job just to remind you that they, they do robberies once in a while or something. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, what do you think of the episode? <laughs> How's that for turning a corner real fast? <laughs> well, yeah, so it's a pretty sharp turn um, there. No, I, I, uh, well, I'm just, I'm just going to comment on, on that whole flashback um, recap thing in terms of how this episode is structured, because I don't think it needs all of the recapping, even though it does, it does actually close off storylines that were introduced. Well, close them off. It picks up on storylines that were introduced in both our, our Mrs. Reynolds and Ariel. It's sufficiently self-contained. I think you get enough context from watching, watching it to work out when Mal meets Saffron in this, that they're already acquainted and that the crew don't trust her, and that's kind of what you need to know. And equally from what River says about Jane, that he has been shifty. Yeah. I kind of think there's enough there. But um, no, I, well, okay, as for the episode itself, I think that you're going to say <laughs> you don't like caper episodes. And... I've gone on the record as saying, actually, I do like caper episodes, but they've got to be good. They've got to be like The Sting Good or House of Games or Ocean's Eleven or whatever. Okay. And the problem with this one was that it just wasn't that sharp, it felt to me. And part of the problem was you've got you've got to... You've got, to ha you've got to have more stuff that is the evidence of your eyes, in a way. Even if they even if they come up with some twist that explains by what you're seeing is what you're not seeing, a lot of this stuff is either stuff that's being recounted later, 
Mm-hmm. So, for example, at the end, we get that Inara has been instructed by or in in collaboration with Mal to go to the rendezvous point just in case things go wrong. And also, I think we're told that the the crew are aware of the subterfuge against Saffron. Now, I'm not quite sure if that's true. Okay. Um. And you know the there's a question about why wh- whether whether Mal brought Safra on board in order to pull this trick or whether he only decided to pull the trick after Inara riled him about not being a criminal mastermind himself because that wasn't for anyone's benefit, right? right. That was just for us the viewers so there are all these things like that that were just a little bit woolly okay it felt to me and i mean obviously the good thing about this episode is that we get christina hendrix back and there's the opportunity to experience evil saffron and certainly at the at the start i think they they make excellent use of that because we get a situation where Saffron's doing her usual thing and Mal walks into that knowing both parties. And so the whole, you know, the the, the fight they embark on and Monty's reaction to it is just delightful because he can't work out why his lovely new wife and his old friend are locked in some sort of mortal combat. And, I, I, I you know, I love that. But it I, kind of went downhill a bit from there. I, I do I do appreciate that we didn't have to spend a lot of time with Monty. And I'm not saying it because I didn't like the character. It's that he served a purpose. He wasn't an idiot. Um, no, he, 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 he worked that a great line. I shaved my beard off for you, devil woman. Yeah. And, and you know, he wasn't a plot complication. Um, you know, because they could have spent a lot of time with the whole Mal trying to convince him that she's evil, and no, 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 couldn't be. Anything. Didn't do that. She she tipped her hand fast enough, and he caught it immediately. Absolutely, no, I hundred percent agree with that. But I, 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 th- I think there's something. the The problem with this is they went looking for more depth in Saffron. I think, whereas I just quite enjoyed the kind of however it was however you had it in the synopsis the kind of beautiful clever evil snake what was her word those are mal's words let's see what what uh, yeah but it's a yeah brilliant it's a beautiful pretty, evil double crossing snake yeah absolutely it's a, yes it's a pretty it's a pretty accurate summary but i don't know maybe you could have done because because i enjoyed you know, in particular at the end of our Mrs. Reynolds, I enjoyed seeing the kind of real saffron, see, seeing the evil double double crossing woman behind the um, devoted, rather, um, you know, uh, drip browbeaten. Uh, yeah, <laughs> drip, yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah. So. I, I don't I I think it's I think it's maybe difficult to know what you do with that. Perhaps if the crew had maybe used her in some situation, and mm. it would it, from a, from a moral point of view, it might have been interesting to explore how far they go or how far she would go 
because if they were in a situation where she was willing to do to someone else what she'd done to them, would they tolerate that? Or indeed, if she were in a situation to do the same thing again, would she do it again? But maybe that's just me, you know, hoping for a, a greatest hits album when she wants to do her new material. <laughs> ah, well, and the funny thing is, um, I didn't mind this episode. I enjoyed it. Um, it I, was fine. I wouldn't put it in, I wouldn't exactly put it in a caper category. Um, I mean, obviously there was a caper, but it was so not really done like a caper story that, that. Oh, but it is a caper story because it's about them pulling a caper, not a particularly elaborate one, it has to be said. But the key thing in caper stories is caper stories pull the wool over your eyes, the audience's eyes. Right. And that's what they did with this by not revealing that Inara was going to, going to pick her up at the end. Because this story, although the caper is key to it this is the story about mal and saf and bridget yolanda really i mean that's that's the that's the part that they're trying to make interesting in this story and ah, okay but where do you balance where do we go with the mal and saffron story we know i mean in our mrs reynolds there's a huge journey for that relationship yep at the end of that, we have we have this, you know, Mal has been double-crossed. There's no love lost for her. He's almost ready to do away with her. And at the beginning of this story, we see that she that he is almost willing to do what she was going to do to them, which is to leave her to her death. By the end of this story... Where do you think that relationship has gone? I would hope that Mal has uh, has learned his lesson. What lesson? He should have shot her in the first place. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll jump to this. I I have this thing that maybe it's because I'm just such an enlightened 21st century guy, but I don't. I don't necessarily agree with the notion that you ought to go around killing people. Okay. But, but when <laughs> well, you try to put that, okay. When you try to put yourself in the mindset of someone like Mal, who does kill people without a moment's hesitation, the, the federal guy at the beginning, the, the guy yep. he took and the thing, he will kill people without a moment's hesitation. So we have episodes like last episode where he should have killed uh, Nishka and Nishka got away. And that's a cheat for the audience because we never got to see whether or not Mal would pull the trigger or whether he would let him go, which would be the dumbest thing he could possibly do. He should have shot him, but circumstances didn't let him do that. In, But if you are that person, if you are the person who can make that decision and say this person needs to die for the crimes they've done or for whatever it is that they but that's perceive to do, you don't base this on gender. And that's exactly what Stinkin' Mal has done here. He won't shoot a right. woman. Two, 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 two things. Three, possibly. Gosh, she's um, the worst okay. evil thing except amongst, Nishka she's ever come up with in this show. Amongst the things that I think are relevant to this are, firstly, and we had this discussion last time, so I'm not 
going to go into my position in any detail, but I don't think Mal decides that people should die for the crimes that they have committed. He he tends to kill people out of necessity. He kills people because they're in his way. He doesn't go back and kill them afterwards because they've upset him. He almost does with Saffron. He clearly doesn't with Niska. That that's that seems to be a bit of a line that you can draw. Maybe, Secondly, but I would I would argue that Niska will be forever in his way. It's it's true he is potentially exposing himself to some risk of retribution there, and therefore the the pragmatic approach would have been to get rid of him. But he doesn't. And that brings me to my second point, which is Niska is of the male gender and he lets him get away. So I'm not sure it is quite as clear cut as that. And I Did he let him get away though? Would... Nishka got away in the confusion. He does Mal it... know what it, does Mal know what's going to happen to him when he says I don't have to do this personally? But that's is not... he just is he is he just saying I don't know. I think to me he kind of He was fighting to a with the other or guy, lesser though. degree. To a greater or lesser degree, he doesn't he doesn't prioritize killing Niska. Okay, so he's got Niska on the ground. He's got a gun pointed at him. He's, to, he's, he's being threatening. He's being blustery. And then the other guy attacks him. And then the rest of it is him fighting the other guy, including the bit where he says, I don't have to do this personally. He's talking about fighting the henchman while Niska has crawled out of the room and escaped. We never get to see the finish of that, whether Mal uncocks the gun and backs off and get out of here and never bug me again like he did with Saffron or not. So I don't know. They see they they got they dodged the bullet so to speak, the the network dodged but, the bullet on that one because we don't have to see what Mal is would have. Well, done. I think that might be because they would bring Niska back. But I oh. I also think there is a there is um a a difference between when Mal kills someone because they are between him and a goal he has, and when for example he doesn't need to kill them but he doesn't need to save them like he might have left Saffron on this rock. Knowing that he would die? Okay, so we then get into the act versus omission doctrine. And so the question of whether this is any better morally is something that we might thrash out, but doesn't doesn't change the fact that this is Mal's code. And I kind of think that's the third thing, which is if 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 Mal has a code which allows him to kill people... And Mal has a code where he decides that he should treat women differently. I'm not sure that treating women differently is the worst part of Mal's code. Well, it's, as we see here, foolish. <laughs> because women it's can such, be just... You know, it's, it is, I mean, we do I, know again, Mal treats women differently because you can just see it from the attitude. And I know there's the sexual tension there. But, I mean, he does not like... He does not like Anora's line of work. And that's yes. very traditionally a sort of women shouldn't do that sort of thing. And Absolutely. And that's why I'd add number three there, which is I, I actually agree with you. I think he does have a a different attitude towards women. And that, that probably does influence how he treats Saffron in this. Let me ask this question then. Uh, you alluded to it. I think I think we can safely say that the crew were in on it. 
because Inara makes the comment about some of the performances of the other crew weren't as nuanced as they should have been. So I think that makes it sound like they were in on the act from the word go. But Mal made a contingency plan that said, well, if things go wrong, you be there. But things still went wrong, right? So it wasn't, this wasn't to plan. He still screwed up along the way. Would you agree that when he started getting empathetic with her and went over to sit next to her, dumb, 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 (laughs) that he got taken? Yes. He got taken in. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So he was not, not so good. So was it real? Was his real? No. Was she, was she for real? I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> because he, he he still insists that it was. Yep. Um, I'm not sure why she didn't kill him. But um, clearly she has no compunction about killing people. Although when she killed was killing the crew of the fire, or the center entity before, it was not by her own hand. Um, which... You know, as we go to that, uh, <laughs> that doctrine is that the same as killing somebody or just letting someone else? But it, kill but it is. But it, 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 the, the sense, the difference is, one of the differences, it, without getting too deep into the moral philosophy underlying this, that that was a means to an end. If everyone on Serenity had got away at the end of our Mrs. Reynolds. It wouldn't have mattered to Saffron as long as her partners had been able to basically wreck and salvage the ship itself. It was more that their all dying was a consequence of their doing that and they weren't going to do anything to save them. And that's kind of different between saying Niska or Saffron have done Mal wrong or turn it round, Mal has done Saffron wrong and therefore he must die for that because that becomes an end in itself so i think in a way she has a a similar approach which is she's not going to kill for what she sees as unnecessary reasons did she kill heinrich again we don't know we don't know it's all there it's all there in the in the account of things to be honest i don't actually believe she did but then i think that whole backstory kind of it i think it was an attempt to give some depth to saffron but i'm not sure it worked well part of the thing is there's not there's nothing there to suggest that it is real and you could say oh okay that's that's clever clever playing with our perceptions because the whole thing is a caper caper story and we're you know we're being kept on tent hooks as to to what the outcome is but for me the the reason i i don't necessarily buy this stuff particularly the idea that the idea that she was staying with this guy and then this this incredibly fantastically rich guy and then this programmer came along who she just fancied is we haven't seen that about her at all literally we've that that's not part of the the saffron we're familiar with the saffron we have seen is someone who is an expert in pursuing marks like mal or monty 
whom she, she seduces for her own personal gain. And we have and we've, we've kind of almost got nothing else to go on. So to to throw in this thing that might or might not be true that we're supposed to work out, it's kind of completely baseless. Well, they did. We did have. We do have Inara's supposition from Armis Reynolds uh, that she's had training as a companion. Yeah. So, and that's <clears throat> that's probably a more interesting story. Uh, you know, instead of the instead of the guy who goes to the monastery and trains with the monks, um, and then for some reason has to leave the monks and becomes a mighty warrior. We have the girl who goes study with the whores and then leaves to become <laughs> a mighty con woman. Um, I mean, I, I, there, there's a story. Was that, was that, were you saying Saffron's Batman? Yeah, well, the I, Batman of con artists. Well, if you, if you had accept revisionist Batman begins history, but uh, yeah, sort of, sort of, she's reverse Batman. She's, she's Batwoman. I definitely think there's something there is there's a lot of there's a lot of mileage in I mean for a start I'm not going to complain about this episode because we get a whole other episode with Christina Hendricks in it and so that on its own is worth the price of admission but it very much felt to me when I was thinking about this and obviously I've seen I've seen the episode before but thinking about this this time, it very much felt to me like they were not telling the best story with Saffron that they could after our Mrs. Reynolds. Because, in all probability, this was not the end of Saffron. I mean, clearly, we don't see we don't see her ultimate fate in this. She's left in the the trash. So the the door is open for her to come back and I reckoned that she was going to come back so I got my trusty Firefly official companion volume two out and in Ben Edlund's notes on this although he doesn't confirm that she was definitely slated to come back he does say that in his mind when he was writing it his guess was that she would be constantly coming back always um, doing them over. He doesn't use the word doing. Um, and that this kind of saffron male thing would would carry on developing. So it's almost like what they were doing was resetting the relationship to a much lower key because you couldn't carry on that pitch of our Mrs. Reynolds and keep building over... Mm -hmm. a, a, a set of episodes in which she was a recurring character and i suspect that she would be the character that would drive along ultimately the inevitable mal inara romance <clears throat> at some point but go far enough I, down the line they'd have they'd have eventually done it i say nothing <laughs> they would have done it if they haven't done it you say nothing the fact that we now know that she doesn't come back is a spoiler enough, Simon, um, in, the, in the episodes we have remaining. But that's all right. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't know she was coming this time, so I got one surprise out of it. And uh, we're, um, So you sort of alluded to the unnecessary nature of the flashback. I personally have not, am not usually crazy about these flashback episodes. Another thing that's a little different about this flashback is that 
the whole point is it doesn't serve the dramatic purpose really at all. Um, you know, if the story can't hold the tension with the story itself, it's one of the reasons I don't like the flashbacks, but this one, it's setting up a very, very false expectation. I don't think it is you. false. I, I mean, I, so I, I, I well, you no, like, it's setting I, up the I, expectation I, that you, this caper is going to go, is not going to happen. Wrong. It's going to go horribly wrong. And I'm not sure it did go horribly wrong because Mal had plans in place to make sure it, it didn't yes. go horribly so, wrong. So it, you know, whereas in a caper story, as you rightly point out, it's fooling the audience. And so you're fooling the audience in mid caper that things are going horribly wrong. And then, oh, wait, it wasn't horribly wrong. That was right all along. But because they couldn't build that kind of tension in this story because it's not good enough, the caper's not that good enough, they did it through the flashback. So you well, see, well, where is it going to go wrong? Oh, where is it going yeah. to go? Where it must right. be going wrong, right? And I, I agree. I agree. I agree with you that the, that the flashback here, because, I mean, before I was talking about the, the recap flashback, the flashback here, or the flash forward it is really, doesn't serve the dramatic purpose of the story but i well i've disagreed with you before on the idea that the story itself has to be the this happened and then this happened and then this happened completely linear structured narrative the the point i do agree with you on is that it sets up expectations but i think our expectations are that we don't expect our expectations are to be surprised. Our expectations are to discover that Mal being stranded in the desert isn't for the completely obvious reason that Saffron has stranded him there. Because it's all—it's almost like the minute you see Saffron in the middle of the desert, obviously I've seen this before and I can't remember what I saw thought the first time I saw it and I did know Saffron was going to be in it but it's almost like the minute you see Mal on a rock sitting in the desert it's like it's got to be Saffron back because that's the obvious that's the obvious way that he ends up there and so having seen that at the beginning it feels like something in the story should subvert that idea so that there's some other much more surprising explanation for how it ends up like that. And probably for that to be the middle of the story and then for the thing to resolve at the end. That's that's the way it feels to me that you could have maintained some dramatic tension. Mm. Well, I think they could have done a lot better. I, again, we've, we've disagreed on the whole notion of nonlinear story. I don't always say that a nonlinear story is bad. It's just that most of them are unnecessary and they do it to cover a deficiency in the storytelling. Most of the time, sometimes there's a legitimate reason and I can't think of a good example of it off the top of my head. And that's probably the biggest condemnation of it is that I can't think of a good example where I go, that was the perfect example. But in this case, not only do they set you up to know that the caper is going to go bad, but of course it's a lie so that you don't know that it really went right and that Mal is pretty much there on his victory rock. <clears throat> um, and, and possibly even with the serenity sitting next to him at that moment. So I, I it hard to say, hard to say, but I just, it's, I don't think it was it, necessary it, 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 in it. 
it feels like what you should what you should get from Mal is in the middle of a desert on his own is a bit more interest in the resolution of that itself how does how does Mal escape from that and of course as you say the resolution is fairly simple and so that's disappointing from what's been set up in the pre-titles yeah they've just set up the whole time from the moment you see saffron in the next scene you're now set up to go yep she's gonna get the better of him yeah and so it would have been fun if for example it wasn't something saffron did that resulted in him ending up naked in the middle of the desert that would have been perhaps a better approach that's right there there could have been any number of things they did but it it just it just didn't i mean i think inara's warnings that she's going to screw him over should have been enough the fact that we know saffron from before should have been enough for us to be expecting this to go wrong uh along the way so i i think i think they overused it here uh for making up a deficiency in their in their story i think they underused it i think it was i think it was it was a good idea, but it didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So having having Mal naked alone in the middle of a desert, good idea. But you've got to do something with it. So let's talk a little bit about Jane and his betrayal on Ariel. We have River telling Simon, although we see it, it's off camera, but it's obvious what she's telling him, that she has figured out that Jane is the one that betrayed them um again mind reading probably intuiting is the way i interpret it she's reading him and his guilt and possibly even the attitude mal had to him after he beat him up and locked him in the well not exactly an airlock but um in the death chamber um is simon's response appropriate boring boring uh consistent with his character it's it's bo- it's boring and appropriate and consistent with his character i think do you think that he paralyzed him unnecessarily no no you think it's he's straight up that's that was the correct medical procedure to do at that point well i'm not a doctor but what he said sounded plausible enough to me and it seems consistent with his character that he would be honest. Okay. <clears throat> the thing is, I liked I liked the fact in Ariel that it ended up with Simon thinking that Jane was this absolute hero. And, you know, Jane being a bit... <laughs> like, he liked that, even though he was also obviously feeling guilty or or, be, or or it made him feel guilty and then also the fact that we got the confrontation between Mal and Jane it felt like that confrontation between Mal and Jane was something of a resolution to that but what again in in uh, what Ben Edland writes about this episode he's saying that the there was something that still needed to be addressed or that w- that, that was festering. But I'm, I'm not absolutely sure there was. Obviously, there's a, there's a truth that Simon is unaware of, 
that could have consequences when he discovered it. But I do think it was necessary based on what they're doing with the character of River. I think it's exactly right that she should figure it out. Yes, I liked that. And I she has to tell her brother. So I mean it it had to yes. come it had to come to some sort of a uh, of a head. Do you think that even though Simon is telling him point blank, I will never hurt you because I'm a doctor. Is that still a threat? No. I mean, is, is that... But I also think he's, he's not saying that. He is not saying that. What is he saying? I think, I think what he's saying is, whilst I am your, whilst I am your doctor, which is i.e. In the, in the sick bay... I will not harm you. I don't think he's saying if we were if we were outside the ship and we were both armed I wouldn't shoot you. <laughs> because he says so, to him, you know, you need you have to trust me and then promptly gives him an injection. And yeah. you could you could, you know, I'm paralyzed, I can't move and this guy's saying, "See, I'm going to show you you have to trust me. I'm just going to stick something in your arm." And I'm telling you, it's medicine. But it's not and a threat. It's, it, I think it's an implied threat. I think. I, I think, think. No, I think. I think he is. He is underlining the fact that he could do well, anything he liked to Jane. Yes, that's a isn't. threat. <laughs> if, but it's if not. Jane... It's not a threat. It's not a threat. It's not a threat in in the sense of saying I might do anything like that. It's more a. It's more a, a way of. But if you're reading... Demonstrating that he's not going to. I don't know that Jane would take it that way, though. Which I think is the point. No, but... I mean, Jane is terrified of this. Jane is is not a... (laughs) Almost misspoke there. Jane is not a complicated man. So, I mean, that just underlies the point that you have to trust me. Right? And that's... eh, I, I can see that. And then there's the bit where River pokes her head in and says, and I can kill you with my mind. Now that's a threat. It is. Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Um, and again, and I, I thoroughly appreciate this about this show. If there's one thing I appreciate, it's the ambiguity that they portray with regards to what the heck it was that was done to River. <laughs> <laughs> because, because we don't know whether she's psychic or not right or whether or not she really could kill him i mean if if as we discussed that they were trying to turn her into some sort of killing machine and they are operating on her brain it's not you know in the realm of i don't know what's possible and what isn't possible and jane certainly isn't that guy uh we don't know what we don't know what 500 years from the future brain research has, has taught us or what maybe they were going to try to implant in her brain. Um, and we don't know because even if we accept that, that what we've seen is some evidence of psychic ability in terms of being able to read thoughts, we don't know whether there's any psychokinetic ability right. associated with that and whether she would be able to do something to the internal structure of but she's spooky enough she's spooky enough with her intuition 
And she's, you know, everyone on the ship knows that these guys have been doing something to her. It's a, it's a credible threat to Jane, I suspect. And, yes. and you could argue, I can kill you with my brain. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily mean that I have to have psychic powers. <laughs> it's like I can just yes. come up with and, a way to kill also, you. Yes. Well, yes. And it's also a threat from someone who has already um, stabbed him. So Yeah. And he deserves it. And I think he, at, at that point, I think he knows it. I, I mean, he's like, yeah, she, all right, she's got a grievance. Not like before where he, she stabbed him and there was a reason, but it wasn't a very good one. But but now she's got a very good one. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like what they've done sort of with the character throughout the course. I, I like the, the ambiguity of the character. I'm not entirely sure that I'm like having a crazy screaming person around the ship as we had in the earlier parts, even... Even if that's part of the development, it just, I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't have gone that route. But uh, when she's lucid, uh, I appreciate what the, what the character can do uh, or, or, or what they're trying to do with the character. It's just like Mal. You still don't really know what Mal's limits are. Yeah. Uh, on, the, on the character. Um, should we talk a little bit about Inara in this episode? Um, her confrontation, what as you say, say, I don't know. I mean, their confrontation with Mal at the beginning, as you say, it is a remarkable coincidence as opposed to being for anybody's benefit as part of the act. So I'm inclined to believe that that was real, that, yeah. that she was going to have a chat with Mal and she was going to try to complain well, to him to about, yeah, it, it just had to be. Well, when you get to the end of the episode and suddenly it's all, you know, this is a big plan, you could whitewash all of it backwards if you weren't, if you weren't, you know. But there's no audience but at there, that point. Right. There is no audience. You have to look at it and go, oh, yeah, right. That that would not be part of the whitewashing. It can't be part of the whitewashing um, over the story. So may, so maybe, maybe Mal put Saffron in the box without quite knowing what he was going to do with her and then had this conversation with Inara. And then set the thing up with his crew because of what Inara had said, and then let Saffron out of the box. So it's mm. it's almost the sequence we see, except we miss out that scene where, where he tells it's all set yeah. up, you know, in Saffron's absence. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's part. I I is Mal doing something intentionally to stop her from getting work? Why is Mal taking these little jobs and and filling it out on the outer rim? Or wherever they are, I think it's not necessarily a question of doing it intentionally, and I, I think again it's a scene that's rather well written because I, th I think although my, although I've got many criticisms about this, the kind of writing of the caper, the writing of the characters is excellent as ever, and certainly at the start of the episode, the dialogue is is superb, and I think the way this is written is pretty good because. Inara's not necessarily making the point that Mao is being deliberately obstructive, but part of the, at least the an implied part of the contract that seems to be between them is that they will help each other out and Mal isn't helping her out. He's, he's going to places that are fine for him, but they're no good at all for her. 
And the point she's making is there are places he could go that would be fine for both of them. I'm just wondering if this is some sort of leftover from the Nishka caper, that maybe he's a little gun shy. Oh, I didn't think of that. Because I, I, I could see I having know. let Nishka get away after that, um, you know, there, there's a price on his head so big it's not even funny. But, but why, why would being, why would operating in the backwater, what Inara's arguing for is going to the core planets. Or, or somewhere, yeah. He's he's operating out on the fringes, which is where Niska operates. He's he's not exactly a law-abiding citizen himself. No, but maybe. I mean, he's staying away from 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 everything. I mean, he's not he's not even trading off on seemingly trading off on planets that have populations on them at the moment. So that's that's really fringe. Um. I don't know. Was there anything in, was there anything in the naming of the planet Bellerophon, son of Poseidon? Oh well, I didn't get that. Um, because because it could have been a water planet. Well, there's more to it than that. You certainly didn't see any land. I, I don't. Well, was the desert on that planet? I think it was. Oh no, it probably was the same planet, wasn't it? I don't think yes. the garbage okay. shovels probably are off-worlding it, but. Um, yeah, it would seem excessive. Also, and I don't remember my Greek mythology well enough and haven't looked it up, but as I recall, Bellerophon was a, the son of, uh, Poseidon and somebody, and he was, you know, he had some typical kind of adventure things and he got into some, he got into some trouble because some woman wanted to sleep with him and lied about him and... That got him in trouble, and he got put on some difficult tasks, kind of like Hercules's uh, Heracles's missions. Uh, uh, he is the one who captured Pegasus, um, and ultimately, it was his pride. Uh, he was he was really you know Belmont. It was his pride that ultimately got him unseated from Pegasus in flight. And caused him to be a cripple and to die alone wandering the the planet. <laughs> and I I'm those are the things I remember about that story, and I'm kinda like, well we've got Mal lost and alone. We've got the water planet, which I could see how you might name a water planet after a mythological character that has ties to Poseidon because they probably already have a planet Poseidon somewhere. Um, or with no desert. And and there's also, uh, yeah, with no desert at all. There's also the whole problems he had with women, um, <laughs> the pride thing. I mean, all of that kind of made me go, I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering if they were in the back of their mind it's not a straight parallel, but it was just enough that it, it made me question it when when picking the name of the planet. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That, that, that crossed my mind. I don't know that I have anything else on this episode. I don't particularly. I thought the floaty house things were quite cool. It is kind of nice to see. Oh, I do have one thing, but it is kind of nice to see some of the nicer places in the in the galaxy or, mm -hmm. or the universe or, or the solar system or wherever the heck they are um 
because you know I've complained in the past about some of those weird discongruities between the technology that they seem to implement in the weirdest places. And I understand it's because they can't get a lot of it, but at the same time, uh, so we, so the one thing I did have to mention is the laser pistol. They're going after one of the first laser pistols. The first laser pistol, isn't it? I got the impression that there were two in existence. They said there were two left in existence. So I assumed that there was a small batch of them that were the first ever made. And then yeah. this is one of two left in existence, but, but the first of the line of laser pistols that the basis of all our pistol technology, does that mean that our, my question about whether or not they're, I mean, that looked like a proper laser pistol, funky, stupid handle, uh, weird finger grips, uh, the whole nine yards, some, some guy in a science fiction props lab going, yeah, this is practical looking gun. And then they talk about it being the, the, the forerunner of all the guns they have. So is that confirming that the six shooter that Mal carries is some sort of a laser E pistol? Or is that another example? Because it still makes that funny noise. It made it in this episode. It made this, I think, exactly the same noise that Inara's laser E pistol made at the end. Some of, the, some of them are definitely laser E pistols, but I don't think all of them are. Because if, I mean, if, for example, you look at the gun that Mal shoots in the pre-title sequence, mm-hmm. that, that, makes the du- that makes the dust kick up at Saffron's feet. That is true. Now, I don't see how you could get a laser to do that. That has to be a projectile weapon, doesn't it? Well, I mean, in, in reality, yeah, probably. <laughs> um... I mean, if you're in Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica and somebody shoots you with a laser pistol, you still get knocked backwards from the impact. Um, all the photons. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, no, it shouldn't. But I wouldn't put it past the art department to say well, we can't not have it do something because it's i don't know i mean it it just if it weren't for the fact that they make that funny electronic noise i would be 100 percent convinced that 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 like so many other things in this show is just throwback technology that they're just they're just using an old-fashioned gunpowder six shooter they just make that funny noise up front that says there's something electronic going on in that device and Oh, maybe it's a rail gun. You know, maybe it's throwing lead through a magnetic pulse or something. But I don't know. I'm just curious because... Lead's not magnetic, though, is it? Mm, I don't know. But anyway, yes, it could... It, you could have some sort of... You could have some sort of high-tech projection system and it still be a projectile weapon. And I don't know that we've ever seen a laser fired. I mean, anything visible. Nothing, no visible laser, no. The only thing we've ever seen are either the guns that look like pistols, the gun that Inara was holding, which she never shot, or the Federation guns, which seem to be stun weapons. Now, wait a minute. Did we see yes, something? Yes, I would in the... say they were sonic, looking did, at the way they work. Did we see something in the opening battles of Serenity? 
with the, the ships coming there, down Yeah, there were laser bolts. Laser there bolts. There were green okay. laser bolts, I think. Okay, so they do have laser weapon technology, so that does look different in this universe than... Okay, okay, fair enough. But it doesn't mean, that, it doesn't mean it's always visible lasers. But no. I, I'm still... I'm still I'm still feeling fairly convinced that there are different types of weapon and they're not all laser based. So that that gun that Mal shot at Saffron's feet was some sort of projectile weapon. It's not just bad special effects. Hmm. I I think it is. I I just I really wish they hadn't overlaid that spacey noise. <laughs> I, I'm perfectly fine. I mean, if they're going to be riding horses on planets, sure. Then... Well, we haven't had many horses. Not many, not sure but they do. A horse since our Mrs. Reynolds. I'm missing the horses. Well, I don't miss the horses, but but I mean, the the point is, is that the technology in places is certainly uh, 20th century or earlier. So I could completely see them carrying guns. I just pistol projectile gunpowder however we want to put it but just kind of kind of weird that they yeah but i i i think they have i think they have different kinds of guns and some of the there there are there are laser weapons and the point about this thing being an antique is it's 500 years in the future guys so it's not just they've got laser weapons it's that they've had laser weapons for hundreds of years or more yeah looking at a picture of the weapon carries there's a lot going on there i'll look at that next time we can <laughs> i'm looking i'm looking i'm looking at a, a picture of the weapon that they steal which it struck me from watching the episode looked a bit like something that had been assembled from a pocket calculator and there's a nice high resolution picture of it in the um firefly companion and it does indeed have an exponent button and an answer button, as well as the regular times and uh, the multiplication division, etc. So I think that's pretty much spot on. <laughs> yeah, it definitely looks like something the props department was intentionally trying to make look pretty goofy. But anyway. All right. Well, what is our next episode of Firefly? It is The Message. The Message. Okay. Well, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.